As a society, we are collectors of stuff. Our economic model in Australia seems to be based on consumption. The Australian government wants us to consume more because it's good for the economy. But that puts pressure on inflation. So the Reserve Bank threatens to put up um, interest rates and send us into recession to keep inflation under control as interest rates go up because we buy more stuff. Then we look at the rising cost of insurance. According to the Insurance Council of Australia, more than four in five Australian homeowners and renters, 83%, are underinsured for their home and contents. And then there's another 7% of homeowners and 63% of renters don't have contents insurance at all. The cost of insuring our stuff is going up. Northern got our insurance bill just this last week and it's gone up by just over 20% from last year. We insure our stuff because we see how fragile it is, because we see how easily it can be lost, stolen or destroyed. But there is a danger in this consumer-driven world where we settle. We settle our focus on the temporary possessions and, on, and we miss the opportunity to invest in a better possession that will last from now into eternity. Let me pray. Jesus, as we take some time to delve into your word, Holy Spirit, would you delve into us? Would you reveal in our lives areas that we need to do business with you, that we would have a a desire to be open to the things that you want to say to us today. As we open your word, we open ourselves up to you and invite you to be at work in us today. Amen. Well, when tough times come, what do we hold on to? If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As we've discovered in this series, there's a danger in life that we settle. We settle for the quick fix. We settle for what is easier, what is immediate, for a lesser leader. We settle to to follow uh, someone less than rather than following the Saviour. We settle for ticking the boxes of rules. And I guess the challenge is that when it comes to stuff, We can settle for what we can get here and now rather than what will last forever. In the first century, it was a challenge for the followers of Jesus. They were facing some pretty tough times in Jerusalem and in Rome. Persecution would break out and difficult times would come against Christians and and it would rattle them to the core of who they are and what they believed. We pick up evidence of this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and following. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, that's okay. I'm sure you'll be able to follow well. Hebrews 10, 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant uh, terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. 
And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when, you, uh, when all you owned was taken from you. The early Christians faced persecution um, and stiff opposition at times. Persecution was sometimes found in small pockets or in small areas of the country, and other times it was quite widespread. It wasn't the sort of, oh, I've stubbed my toe sort of persecution, um, but it was at times an escalate, it escalated into forms of torture and also through Christians being killed. Such outbreak of persecution was experienced in Rome under Emperor Claudius, who expelled and deported religious groups who were against his own religious beliefs. One of those groups were Christians, who found themselves being run out of town, as it were, leaving their homes, which were then looted by locals who took whatever they wanted. In Acts 18, 1 and 2, we read a little bit about this, that when Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in uh, Pontus, who recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome because of persecuting them, kicking them out of the country, and they had to leave whatever they had and basically run with their lives. At other times... As the writer of Hebrew records, followers of Jesus were exposed to public ridicule, beaten, killed, or thrown in jail. It's helpful to remember that in those days, there was no government support for those that were in jail. If family and friends didn't provide for your needs, you were likely to die in there. But for Christians in prison, it brought the challenge of identification and solidarity. If your family and friends come to your aid, then they could be, um, be seen as Christians too, and they could be thrown in jail as well, along with you. The solidarity that the writer of Hebrews talks about is more than some sort of a hashtag on a post. It costs something. Your identification with them also meant that you could be treated like them. But for a number of Christians, their following Jesus also helped them to experience solidarity with Christ. As Emma read earlier from John fifteen eighteen, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. There was an acceptance to their persecution, that it was proof Proof of their identification with Jesus, who was also persecuted. And this identification, this solidarity, gave encouragement, hope and joy. Not the happy, happy, joy, joy sort of thing, but a, a, a peace of mind, a, a peace of heart. Hebrews 10.34 continues, You accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. But as the writer of Hebrews was acutely aware, conviction can fade over time when we're put under pressure. Some followers 
can form a bit of a retreat. They can have their faith go into hiding. They can keep it private. They can seek to keep a low profile because if they raise their Christian head, it could cost them. But the writer of Hebrews is also aware that others who once identified with as Christians would retract their belief. In Hebrews 6, the writer describes the retraction of their belief in Jesus as like nailing him to the cross again and holding him up to public shame. When the pressure comes, they deny their faith in Jesus and live as if Jesus is not the Christ at all. Their lifestyle, their identification with the world deny the work of Jesus on the cross. To stay alive, to save their skin, Jesus becomes dead to them. It's little wonder then that with a mix of concern but also a quite confidence, the writer of Hebrews calls the Christian audience. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in a little while... The coming one um, will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I I, I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. What the writer calls the believers to do is to deepen their resolve. Faithful ones. In Hebrews 6, 9, we hear, Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe this applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. And in later, in Hebrews 12, 12 and 13, the writer once again implores, encourages the hearers. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out the straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Come on. You can do it. I know it's tough. I know that it is costing you. But why would you settle for the here and now? Deepen your resolve because there is a better reward in store. In Hebrews 10.34, you suffered long ago. You suffered um, along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Jesus teaches in Matthew 6.19-21, do not store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, where the thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, then the desires of your heart will be also. And later, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 
18 and 19, calling Timothy to teach the rich that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. There is a reality to the understanding that there are genuine rewards for followers of Jesus in eternity. So much so that that when Peter thinks about what the disciples had given up and and he starts to wonder, well, what are the better things for them? Jesus doesn't scold Peter for thinking this way, but he tells him straight. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, And the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. You who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, including us today, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So the writer of Hebrews calls the hearers not to settle for the stuff of now, not to retreat, not to recant, but to have a resolve, a faith in Jesus, that you will have better things that come with salvation. You know, today we can face opposition, which can come in all sorts of forms. We can have friends and family pay out on us because of our faith in Jesus and going to church. We can get those sideway glances, those eye-rolling, those pranks or so-called jokes that try to rattle us because of our faith. We can have employers, educators, Governments and media tell us that we are irrelevant, we are backwards, we are uneducated and be treated with contempt. After all, they are the progressive ones and we're the ones holding them back. And so we can retreat. We can keep our faith undercover, out of the way and off the radar. We can avoid the answers to what we did yesterday because we don't want to mention that we went along to church. We can go quiet when the Christian bullhorns, no, the, Christ, the bullhorn Christians shout into microphones and we choose not to give our Christian response as a counter to some of the stuff that some Christians say in the media. We think that we're just nice and being nice will just be nice enough. But some, they can go further. Rather than just retreat, they can retract. Christian identity is a thing of the past, uh, um, something to, to grow out of, to, um, to misapply what Gautier says. Jesus is just somebody that I used to know. We need to outgrow the fairy faith of Christianity and grow up. We cave to peer pressure and the need to conform to the world. We give in. We give up faith. Little by little, 
until nothing is left. We water down faith until it is so faded and diluted that in our life that there is little distinction or difference between us and the world around us. Our values of consumerism and the pursuit of pleasures of the here and now are no different to those who have total disregard for God. But in the face of difficulties, some still dig deep and develop amazing resolve. According to a group called Open Doors, which monitors Christian persecution around the world today, they suggest more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith last year. More than 2,100 churches were attacked or closed. More than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith and almost 15,000 became refugees. If you don't believe me, talk to Morteza and Narzilla about the impact of being a Christian and why they had to come to Australia. David Curry, President and CEO of Open Doors in the USA states, you might think that this list is all about oppression, but the list is really about resilience. The number of God's people who are suffering should mean that the church is dying, that Christians keep, um, are keeping quiet and losing their faith and turning away from one another. But he states, but that's not what's happening. Instead, in living colour, what we see across the world is what God recorded in the prophet Isaiah, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's not about arrogance. It's not about ignorance. But it's about a deep-seated conviction that Jesus is my saviour and I am in solidarity with him. Not a hashtag solidarity for a few well-timed likes when it's popular, but solidarity that Jesus is the sure-footed and deep-rooted saviour that we are diving deeper into because we recognise that just for the Christian, uh, just as it was for the first disciples, we don't want to settle for less. We're not going to settle for the sugar-hit consumerism or settle for the here and now that has us compromise our better things in Jesus. Not when we remember that Jesus didn't settle for us. In Luke chapter four, uh, 4, verses 5 and 8, we read this account, that the devil took him, that is Jesus, up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. And Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted to settle for the, he, the things of now, to take the easy road. 
Jesus was tempted to have it all and to have it now. But for the sake of you and me, Jesus experienced the cross for our salvation. So we don't have to settle because we have a better reward, the greatest possession of all, a personal relationship with Jesus that helps us to live life well now and give us the possession of eternity with Jesus, where insurance premiums don't rise despite their immeasurable worth, where thieves can't steal and rust will not destroy. After all, why would you want to settle for a cheap knockoff of a here and now imitation when Jesus is offering you a better eternal possession, life everlasting with him? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that even though you were tempted, that you saw beyond the here and now and you looked throughout the future and you could see us today and that out of your love and out of your obedience to your Father, you went through the pain of the cross and the persecution. You died a criminal's death. You took on our sins so that we can have a better possession, that we can have eternity with you, a personal relationship with Creator God because of what you did. Jesus, help us not to settle. Help us to have resolve because of the greater reward, the greater possession that is in you. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a few things. Retreat. In what areas do you feel most tempted to have your Christian life retreat? Are there areas in your day, in your week, relationships where you feel as though you're retreating back who you are and your identity in Jesus? Retract. Whom are you praying for? that has retracted their faith in Jesus, that they've gone their own way. Who are you praying for in that space? Resolve. In what way or in what ways can you deepen your resolve to following Jesus? Reward. What is one of those rewards that you are looking forward to in eternity? There's going to be some music played. And as that music played, I encourage you to take some time to respond to the things that God's saying to you today. And those response cards, if you're doing it in the the auditorium, uh, will be collected as we sing our final song. Thanks, David. (laughs) 